Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you this morning. As we come to the scriptures, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come among us. Would you come now, Lord, and open the scriptures to us? Would you fill my words, Lord? Would you fill our hearts and our minds that we might be led to Jesus? It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We are beginning a preaching series today called Living Lent. And over the next six weeks, as we move toward Easter, we'll follow Jesus' journey to the cross and and to resurrection. And along the way, what we'll see is how Jesus engages the spiritual life so that we might also engage our spiritual lives like he does. And so this series is intended to be both very practical and applicable to your life, like not not disconnected from where we actually live day in and day out. And right out of the gates, we'll deal with an issue that is common to everyone. All of us deal with this, and Jesus dealt with it too, and it is the issue of temptation. Now, we heard it just a moment ago as I read the gospel lesson from Mark after Jesus' baptism when Father God speaks over him, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. As he's anointed with the Holy Spirit to be the Messiah, it is then the Spirit who drives him out into the wilderness to be tempted. And he's out there for 40 days, and he's being tempted by Satan. Now, ever since the Garden of Eden, temptation has been common. It's a constant part of human life. There's no escaping its presence. There's only a matter of how you will deal with temptation when you face it. Will you give in to temptation or not? The humorist Oscar Wilde said, I can resist anything except temptation. (laughs) And Mark Twain wrote, there's a charm about the forbidden that makes it unspeakably desirable. Lyman Abbott said, every life is a march from innocence through temptation to either virtue or to vice. A march from innocence through temptation to either virtue or to vice. So as we begin this Living Lent series, we'll begin where Jesus' ministry began. We'll deal with temptation, and specifically we'll see three things. What temptation is what temptation involves, and how you can overcome it. So what it is, what it involves, and how to overcome it. First, what temptation is. So in in the Greek language, the word for temptation, it's actually a, a neutral word. It's the word parazzo, and it means basically to test. To test is what the word actually means. And what makes a test either good or bad depends upon the intent of the one giving the test. Is it evil? Is it good? Well, it depends on who's, if you will, administering it, who is behind it. And so when the test is an enticement to evil, when it's a seduction or an allurement to sin, then it's translated as temptation. That's when it's temptation, when it's an allurement to sin or a seduction toward evil. The scripture is clear, and and I read this just a few moments ago, that God is never the one who tempts us. James said this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Remember, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now, when the test is simply a hardship, when it's a kind of ordeal, a difficulty that we go through, then the scripture calls it a trial. So there's a difference in testing, whether it's a temptation or it's a trial. We all go through trials. And if you live life long enough, you will experience them. Trials are different from temptations. Trials are not immoral. In fact, what they are, they're something that God uses to strengthen us. It's like spiritual weightlifting, right? You're pumping iron in the spirit realm when you go through a trial. And they're used by God for our ultimate good, to shape us, to hone us, to increase our faith, to increase our love for God, to shape our character, to be like the character of Jesus. So James 1-2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Do you hear that? It's in the realm of joy. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Right? A steadiness within, so that you're not just up and down like the waves of the sea, blown around like leaves on a breeze, so that you are steady in your spiritual life. For instance, when I got sick in 2014 with autoimmune issues, it was a trial. It was a hardship that I faced. God didn't make me sick. God wasn't punishing me. He wasn't tempting me. It was a trial that I walked through with God. And along the way, God taught me about himself, and he ultimately used it for my good to strengthen me and my trust in him. Again, James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So while trials are not meant for evil, temptations are. Temptations are meant for evil. They're intended for evil, and they're used by Satan to try to draw us away from God, to weaken or destroy our faith, to damper your love relationship with the Lord, and to move outside of God's best for your life, to move outside of his purposes for your life. And temptations are always intended to kill, steal, and destroy. So, for instance, we see Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Now, in Mark's gospel, which I read just a moment ago, that's the short version. But if you look at it in Luke, if you look at it in Matthew, you see the nature of the temptation that Satan was bringing toward Jesus. He was trying to entice him to do evil. How? By moving outside of God's will, by moving outside of God's plan. And especially trying to get Jesus to avoid suffering and avoid going to the cross to deliver us from sin and death. If you go back to the beginning of the book, back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were being tempted by Satan, they were being tempted to doubt God's character, to doubt God's goodness, to deny God's word, and to move outside of God's will and plan for their lives. And they gave in. And that released evil, suffering, darkness into the world. Now, Jesus, thanks be to God, he resisted the devil's temptation. The scripture calls him the second Adam. 
And it was through his obedience that he secured salvation and eternal life for everyone who believes in him, who trusts him. Now, the, think about temptation for a minute. The thing about it is it's, it's often disguised. It's often seen to be something different than it is. It looks good and it's appealing. Do you remember Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves? Right? The, the wicked queen is jealous of Snow White's beauty and so she disguises herself and she brings Snow White this beautiful apple. It's pleasing to the eye. It smells fragrant. It's delightful to the taste, but it is meant to kill you if you eat it. I like the way Tony Evans puts it. He likens temptation to a worm on a hook. This is what he writes. Why does a fisherman put a worm on a hook? To hide the real deal. In other words, to disguise what's really going on. It's not about the worm. The worm is the attraction. The real deal from the fisherman's standpoint is the hook. But a fish is not going to swim toward a hook. Fish are dumb, but they're not crazy. A fish won't head for a hook, but it will swim toward a worm, not understanding that the worm is covering the real deal. And so it is with temptation. It may look good, but it's designed to hook you and to trap you and ultimately to kill you. So that's what temptation is, an enticement to evil or an allurement or a seduction to sin. Let's think about what it involves. I go back to James, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So temptation arouses desire. It makes an appeal. It makes promises to bring you fulfillment outside of God's way of doing things. And then that always evokes a tension within. Now, if, if you're not a Christian, there's no tension about this stuff. You just do that by nature. But if you desire to follow God, it evokes tension within. Um, maybe you remember the old cartoons where there would be like a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other shoulder and the angel's going, don't do it, don't do it. Remember God. And the angels, the, the devil's going, it's not that bad. You know, be like Nike. Just do it. Just do it. And, and then there's a tension and a choice is made. And if you choose to obey, it leads to blessing. And if you choose to disobey, it leads away from the Lord and ultimately towards death. The Christian counselor John White says this. He, he uses a piano to illustrate the way the devil attacks us all differently, right? So if you open up a piano, if you were to open that piano up over there, and if you were to sing into it, the string corresponding to the note that you were singing would begin to vibrate. The devil attacks each person and each community based upon our weaknesses, he cannot make a good person bad, but he makes flawed people worse. And so what he does is he plays on what's already in you. Now, what's in you might be different than what's in your wife or your brother or a friend. Sometimes what's in you, though, is exactly what's in the people around you. 
And, and what's in you is what draws you to certain kind of people in your life. So, for instance, when I was a young man and I was traveling around with the Grateful Dead, I was drawn to other young people who were like me from broken homes and out of abuse, who were trying to numb their pain through drugs and through alcohol and sort of rebellion and promiscuity and through music, trying to numb things out. Basically, all of our piano strings were vibrating similarly and we were coming into alignment and it drew us together. So temptation appeals to desire. It appeals to what we're looking for, what you're trying to get out of the world, or what you're trying to fix inside yourself, often that was broken in your childhood or at some stage in your life. And it leads to sin. It leads to death. And that death is in all kinds of forms, right? It comes relationally. It comes emotionally. It comes psychologically. It comes physically. And ultimately, it comes spiritually. Listen to how the Lutheran theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes temptation. This is from his book called Temptation. It's a small book, but it's really masterful. He says this, In our members, that's your physical being, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire, which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. That's what the Bible calls our fallen nature, right? Our sinful selves. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The fire burns, and it's in flames. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money or finally that strange desire for the beauty of the world of nature. Catch this. Joy in God is in the process of being extinguished in us And we seek all our joy in the creature, the thing that we're desiring, the thing that we are looking for. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. It's like you've got amnesia all of a sudden. You forget he's even there. And now his falsehood is added to this proof of strength. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in deepest darkness. Temptation occurs up here. It's in your mind. And that leads to a binding of your will. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. So we've seen what temptation is. It's an allurement or an enticement towards evil or towards sin, seduction. And we've seen what it involves, right? A desire and then a choice. And if we choose sin, ultimately it leads toward death. The question is then, how do you overcome it? Like, what do you do? Well, it's sometimes helpful to know what not to do before you know what to do. Let me first say how you don't overcome it. You do not overcome temptation in your own strength. It it does not work. It never works that way. Uh, There was a Super Bowl commercial a couple of years ago, and it was for Mercedes-Benz. 
And the commercial started out with this young guy, he's in, you know, a 30-something, sitting at a table in a cafe, and he's having coffee, and he's looking out the window, and there's these two workmen, and they're putting up this billboard for new Mercedes-Benz, right? And he's looking at it longingly. And all of a sudden, this guy in a black suit shows up at the chair across from him. He's the devil creature, the devil figure. It's William Defoe, if you know who he is. And William Defoe says, nice car. And the young guy goes, it sure is. Well, then the devil holds out this gold fountain pen, and there's a contract in front of him, right? And the devil says temptingly, make a deal with me, kid, and you can have the car and everything that goes with it. And then you see this series of scenes play out in this young guy's mind. So in the first scene, he's driving his Mercedes, and he gets out at this red carpet gala ceremony, award ceremony. He's got this beautiful woman on his arm. Then the next scene shifts, and he's he's dancing in a nightclub with his best friend, the singer-songwriter Usher. And then, of course, the scene shifts, and he's... Uh, being, you know, photographed. He's this male model and all these women are chasing after him and he has to escape in his Mercedes. And suddenly he's in a Formula One race and he's passing the lead car. And then the ad shifts back to the guy sitting at the table. And the tempter says, so what do you say? And the young guy, well, he looks across the way and he sees the billboard. He's looking at the pen. He's looking at the billboard. And then he sees the relatively low price of the Mercedes there on the billboard. And he says, thanks, but I think I've got this. And the devil disappears. It's this masterful advertisement about the way temptation comes and the way the world lures us. But it has a totally unbiblical answer to how you deal with temptation, that you can do it on your own as if you could say to the devil, just thanks, I got this. That is not the way this works. You don't overcome temptation in your own strength. So how do you overcome it? Well, first you have to know God and you have to know God's word and then purpose in your heart that you desire God more than anything else in your life. Now, we heard it in Psalm 25 that I read a little bit ago. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Like, like we're appealing to the God who is for us and desires good for us. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. So we have to know God, and we have to go after God and be pursuing God and knowing God's word in Scripture and through times of prayer. We've got to desire the Lord and actually put in the time it takes to develop relationship. Now, catch what I said there. I said desire God. We, we need to understand desire is not all bad. Like Buddhists believe all desire is bad, and so they seek to kind of quell it and squash all desire on a path to enlightenment. That's not Christianity. Desire gets corrupted, but desire for God is a good thing. 
right? The Psalms tell us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He'll shape your desires and he'll help you to know which desires are his. And so we've got to grow in that relationship. If you just spend time with God for an hour on Sunday morning, then by the time you get to Tuesday or Wednesday, you're going to be spiritually anemic. And so we build the relationship and we seek the Lord and we find out what he's like. We want to grow strong in the love of God. We want to grow strong in God's heart toward us and for us so that we're knowing God's character above everything else. Now, practically, if you're looking for places to help you shape that, it would be a good idea to know Exodus 20. That's the Ten Commandments. Like, what does righteousness look like? Or in the New Testament, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Do you understand what Jesus' kingdom righteousness is like? How about Proverbs 6? Proverbs 6 tells you the things God hates. That's a good chapter to read, I think, don't you? And then there's Ephesians 4 and 5. What does your new life in Christ look like? What is the will of God like? What does it mean to grieve the Spirit of God? Like, how is it that your life brings sorrow to God? As well as, how do you bring pleasure to God? How do you bring goodness towards God? And then, of course, Galatians 5. Like, do you know the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit? That's just a small sampling, but those are places that if you hide away, then when you come to the time of temptation, you know what to discern. You know what's in and what's out, what's truth and what's falsehood. The good things don't look so good if they're actually temptations. Well, next you have to know what to do when temptation comes your way. So knowing God, knowing his word, but then what happens when it comes in your face? Sometimes you just have to, you got to run. You have to flee. Like, get out of Dodge. Some of you might remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right? They're at the cave of Carbanog, and they're dealing with the beast of art, which is just a rabbit. <laughs> but it's got big teeth, right? And the rabbit attacks them, and, you know, it's, it's ludicrous, but that's the way temptation is. It looks small, and yet it'll kill you. And they all start to go, run away, run away, right? Sometimes you just need to run away, especially in the case of sexual temptation. you got to get out of there. If, if you're an alcoholic, don't go hang out in the bar. If you're tempted to gossip, you might need to get away from those toxic friends who are feeding you those morsels that you're feeding on and, you know, that titillate your insides and that you want to pass on to somebody else. If you deal with envy, you might want to get off social media where everybody's displaying their perfect lives and you come away feeling less about yourself and envious and covetous of what they have. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. So you're not alone. You're not alone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. And and I think this is where the season of Lent is helpful. If it's just some kind of religious exercise we're kind of grinding through, that's not helpful. 
But because it's designed to be a season of self-denial, where we let go of some really good things, right? If you're fasting, food's a good thing, but you're letting go of it to feast on the Word of God and the presence of God. We're learning how to deny impulses. We're learning how to discern along the way. And often what you'll experience, particularly if you decide to do some fasting during the season of Lent, is all that stuff kind of creeps up in the middle of your spiritual practices. Not so you feel bad about yourself, but so you can go to the Lord and go, oh my goodness, like this is what my heart is like. Please deliver me from this. Show me the way out. Show me how to deal with this, Lord, because I I long for you above everything else. So Lent can be this time when we practice the way of escape. But just running is not always enough. You have to run to Jesus. You run to Jesus. He is your great high priest. Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Y'all, this is as good a news as it gets. Jesus understands you. Our God knows what it's like to be in our shoes. He knows what it's like to face temptation, not in some kind of academic way, but experientially. Yet he did not sin. And so we run to him who understands. He does, he's not ashamed of you that you face temptation. He wants you to come to Him. He desires that you would draw near to Him. His heart is for you. And He wants to give you the grace you need. You just have to ask Him. You ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the wilderness, He was there under the power of the Holy Spirit. And He knew what was inside and outside of God's will. And He applied God's Word by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. He knew what to do. So we flee to Him And we ask Him to instruct us in the way that He would have us to go, by His power, with His Word. You also need people around you. Because an isolated Christian is a picked-off Christian. And if you'll think about your life, any time you probably strayed away from the Lord, you got isolated from the people who would build you up. And those people would help you stay accountable, who would love you in the good, in the bad, and even in the ugly. And and so it's like the coal on the fire. If the coal gets moved away from the fire, the coal goes out. Satan wants to isolate. He wants you to go at your own. That's why we talk so much about being in community with one another, being in life groups. It's, It's not the life group. It's the togetherness. It's the growing with other people. It's the strengthening that comes in relationship to other people. James again says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you might be healed. Healing is mediated through other people in our lives. Now lastly, let me say this. If, maybe I should say when, we'll say if. If you fall prey to temptation, when you fall prey to temptation, quickly go back to Jesus for forgiveness, for cleansing, and for grace. Think about how temptation works. It's really a subversion of grace. 
Because on the front end, before we sin, the enemy whispers, it's not that bad. Besides, God will forgive you. And then you give in to the temptation and you sin. And then he's whispering at you again. You're dirty. You're awful. You should be ashamed. Hide yourself. Don't be around other Christians and don't be around God. He might be able to forgive them, but not you. His grace is always enough. Remember, his arms were pinned to the hard wood of the cross that you and that I might come within the reach of his saving embrace. So run to the one who has done everything to show you his love and to make relationship with the Father possible. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we pray that you would well, you would lead us again to the cross because I know how this message works, Lord. The things that have been our temptations and our sins have surfaced in many of our hearts. They're in our minds even now. And the enemy would try to condemn us for them or to tell us it's it's not that big of a deal. And yet we know, Lord, that those sins, those temptations given into are what sent you to the cross. But it's your love that really sent you to the cross. So we want to flee to your love and we ask for your power. We do this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. It's in your name, Lord. It's for your sake and your glory that we pray. Amen.